before we take a look at God's Word together, I want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about who we are as a church and why we do things the way we do them. Uh, I often get questions from those visiting the church uh, asking these questions, like, well, why are we meeting here? Why do we do things this way? And, and I know we have a number of people who are somewhat new to Redeemer, so I thought I would just take a few minutes from the pulpit and address these common questions. So who are we? Uh, well, we are the family of God. We are a hospital for sinners. When you invite people to church, I, I hope you invite them to meet your church, uh, not just to come to church, because church is the people of God. It is a people and not a facility. And, and so while we want our building, our meeting place to be safe and, and functional, reasonably safe, if you're in the balcony, it's not completely safe, but reasonably safe and functional, that is not our focus. That's not where our energy is. It's really on the people who come. We meet here in Avondale because seven years ago when this church started, uh, we saw a large need for a stronger evangelical presence in East Birmingham uh, because there, just, there was a lack of one here. And I realize that a lot of you don't live from around here. You're coming from different parts of the city, and that is fantastic. We want to equip you uh, to reach out in faith to the community you are in and to serve there. Um, but we do meet here in East Birmingham strategically, uh, not just because there's a lack of an evangelical presence or a strong presence here, but also we believe that God has a special heart for the poor. And being here allows us to, uh, to strategically invest in those areas, areas of Woodlawn, East Lake, areas in Avondale. And so that's why we, we continue to meet here. Well, why do we do things the way we do them? I, I don't realize until I talk to some of you that we do some odd things here. Um, but I guess the word I would use is there's an intentionality to everything that we do. Uh, for instance, every service begins and it ends with the reading of scripture. This is intentional because we believe God's word must be central to all that we do. The preaching that you're going to hear is what I would call expositional, meaning we're going to go through whole books of the Bible. Um, this is how I believe that we can best teach through the entire counsel of God and, and also how we cannot be a victim to uh, to our times in which when you're only preaching on the topics that your current culture thinks is relevant. Uh, when you preach expositionally, you allow God to tell you what is relevant. And so we might do occasional topics, but the bread and butter of what we do up here, whether it's from me or from Jeff or from any elder, is going to be expositional preaching. Uh, as for how we do our worship and particularly how we do our songs, uh, we're not scared to be loud as you can tell. Um, we're not scared to be loud or to be quiet during our services. I bet there's probably some people coming here uh, uh, with a confusion thinking that, uh, that being reverent and being reserved mean pretty much the same thing, but those are not synonyms. God commands that we are always to be reverent and that we are to never be reserved, that we are to never hold back in our worship. But we're to worship him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind. And so there's times that we're going to be loud and sing with everything we have, with all of our passion. We, we don't sing because the band is awesome. 
Uh, we've intentionally set the band off to the side so that the band would not be the focus, but the words in which we are singing are the focus, and especially the God to whom we sing these words. He's the one who deserves our attention and our praise. And so there's going to be times when we sing our lungs out, and there's also going to be times where we have quiet reflection. Uh, often I hear the word awkward to describe our services. Um, that's, that's appropriate at times. Um, because it could be painfully quiet and awkward. But we're going to take time to pray. Uh, we don't put in times of prayer in our services just so we can have a time of transition. Uh, you're not going to close your eyes and then open them and the band's gone, you know, or there's stuff moved on stage. Uh, when, when we pray, whether you're a staff or you're a band or a volunteer or whether in the congregation, we all pray. We all want to cry out to the Lord Together, this is a very important time for us. And sometimes we're going to have times of prayer where you, you pray quietly in your pews. Sometimes I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand up and to do a declarative praise out loud before God's people. And sometimes I'm going to make us huddle up in groups and pray together as groups. We'll, we'll probably do that after the message. This is an important time. I think God changes us when we pray, especially in groups like this, because when those of us who are strong, you could pray on behalf of those who are weak. Those of you who are rejoicing could come alongside those who are full of sorrow. We can be the family of God as we spend these times in prayer. From the beginning of this church, we have often said that if we cease to be a people who pray, may God close these doors um, and this is still our prayer. So there is an intentionality in all that we do. Uh, that's who we are. That's, that's what we do in a nutshell. We try to keep it simple. Um, we don't perfect it. We don't claim to do it better than anybody else. Um, we keep it simple, and we are trying to be intentional in how we go about things. So that's who we are and what we do. And now let's take time to look at God's Word together. John chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. 
Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Pray with me. Our Father, we ask that you would breathe life into these words. That you would be a fountain coming to us. Lord, I pray in this moment at this time that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. If you remember, last week we talked about this, this this story here takes place during the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, This was the Jewish equivalent to Thanksgiving, but it lasted an entire week. Jerusalem would have been slam-packed with people flocking in from all over to celebrate. Um, Jesus, however, was not one of them at this time, not initially one of them. He was out in the country where he was far away from the crowds. He used to have 15,000 people, you know, who were following him. But then all these people had left, and he just had a handful of disciples. And at this point, it looks like Jesus' ministry is grinding to a halt. Jesus' brothers approached Jesus, and they said, Jesus, we know what you need to do in order to revamp this ministry. Now, keep in mind, his brothers didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, They didn't believe he was the Messiah, but they knew he could at least do a few tricks, maybe he could get some following. And and so they said, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to go to Jerusalem. That's where all the action is. That's where the feast is. It's swarming full of people. If you go there, kind of do the thing you do, we could get the 15,000 people back. And so they encouraged Jesus to do this. Now, Jesus had heard this line of reasoning before. Go up to the temple and throw yourself off at the pinnacle. Let the angels rescue you. And when people see that miracle, they will worship you. And Jesus rejected Satan then, and he rejects his brothers now. He actually says some really condemning words to his brothers in verse 6 of chapter 7. He, he, he told them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Go up to the feast. In other words, I walk my life with a purpose. I'm following the sovereign plan of my father. But you, you're doing whatever you want, whenever you want. You think that the goal of life is just to be happy. And, and if, if, if that's your goal, is just for people to like you and for you to do whatever you want when you want, then fine, go ahead. You know why? Because it doesn't really matter what you do. It's, it's strong, condemning words from Jesus to his brothers. His brothers leave then. They're probably ticked at him. And they leave, they go off to Jerusalem. After a few days, Jesus decides to go to Jerusalem as well. He just didn't want to go with his brothers. He didn't want to go with all the fanfare that they would try to bring. He, he wanted to go in secret. 
This is important because remember, Jesus had a target on his back. Last week we saw how people were trying to kill Jesus. And so he doesn't want to draw any attention to himself. He needs to come quietly. And so when he comes into Jerusalem, he comes in stealth, but then he does begin teaching some. This is way before the days of you know, social media in which uh, Jesus he, today wouldn't be able to go anywhere without everybody recognizing who he was because his picture would be everywhere. Jesus was allowed to go and even start teaching without people initially recognizing him. And so he's teaching, crowds are starting to gather a little bit and listen, and then it starts dawning on him, on them going, well, wait a second, you're the guy we're trying to kill. You're the guy we're trying to kill, aren't you? And yet Jesus, he keeps teaching. Then during the last day of this feast, during the most climatic moment, Jesus completely forgets about hiding. And he cries out and he makes a huge scene. He actually goes to the temple, the most packed place you could go during this festival, and he calls out for everyone to hear, Come, all who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you drink. Now, if you are trying to not make a scene, if you're trying not to draw attention to yourself because people are trying to kill you, this is not the thing that you should do, is to, to draw attention to yourself in this way and to scream out in the temple. Yet Jesus did. It's almost as if he couldn't help himself. Why? Why, why couldn't he help himself? What would cause Jesus to do such a dramatic thing as this? Even when he had a target on his back. I went, when I was a youth I was a teenager, I, was, I think I was a young teenager, at least in my mind I was a young teenager, I went to a Sandy Patty concert, any of y'all know who Sandy Patty is? Bless you if you don't. Uh, I think our youth group went to the Omni in Atlanta, that was before Phillips Arena, uh, I think my mom forced me to go, I'm going to blame her, throw her under the bus. Uh, but I'm there at the Omni. There's probably about 10,000 people listening to Sandy Patty. I just get up and I'm just walking around. I can't take it anymore. And, uh, and I'm up there somewhere on the bleachers, I mean, up in the, the nosebleed seats. And for some reason, Sandy Patty, she hit kind of a lull. Maybe she was talking and there was, a, there was a quiet space in the concert. And I yelled at the top of my lungs. I just go, ah, as loud as I could. And 10,000 people just stared at me. And I just ran. I just ran. Now, why I did that, I'm not really sure. I was a stupid teenager. I think that's probably why I did it, just because why not? But if the crowd was hostile and I was trying to hide from them, there is no way I would have done that. Yet Jesus does that to a much larger crowd, a crowd that wants to kill him. Why? The Feast of Tabernacles was that week-long celebration. The word tabernacles is just the word tent. And that's what they were celebrating was the time they were remembering back in Israel's history when they lived in tents in the desert and God took care of them for 40 years. God rained manna down from heaven for them and he gave them water that came from the rock that Moses hit. And so they're remembering God's provision in the past And they're also praying for God's provision in the future. They lived in a very arid land. They needed God to keep giving them rain, to keep giving them water. 
And so they remembered the past and they were hopeful to the future. And this ceremony, this holiday remembered this. So as a way of both remembering God's past and exodus, they, they set up this ritual. Remembering when Moses struck the rock. They had this ritual in which every day the priest, they would go to the pool of Siloam and they'd have a golden pitcher and they would scoop up some water and then they would come back to the temple and they would pour out this water on the altar, thus remembering how water flowed from the rock. And on the last day, the greatest day of this feast, the day that is being described here in John 7, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam seven times. And on the seventh time, they would, they would scoop the, up this water and there would be a massive procession going back to the temple. And the people were going absolutely nuts during this time. It's a massive celebration. There would be flute playing, there would be dancing, there would be singing. Loud cheers would be erupting as the priests are getting closer and closer to the temple. I read this in one uh, ancient Jewish commentary. Uh, The author wrote this. He said, He who has never seen the ritual of drawing, the ritual of drawing of the water, has never in their life witnessed joy. It was such a joyful time. And as, as the high priest, as he's getting closer and closer to the altar and all the people are going with him, they begin chanting Isaiah 12. With joy, you will draw from the waters of salvation. And at the climactic moment, the high priest on that seventh time, he'd hold up the pitcher and everybody would go quiet before he poured it. And it was likely here on the last and the greatest day of the feast, as John 7 says, likely in that silent moment before the pitcher is poured that Jesus cries out, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you want joy, come to me. If you want life, come to me. For someone not wanting to draw attention to himself, this probably wasn't the way to do it. But Jesus watches this ritual take place and he can't be silent. He has to shout out. The question is this. I want us to look at exactly what Jesus saw to make him cry out. And I want us to look at exactly what Jesus said. Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Who who is it that can come to Jesus? Who is it that Jesus is offering life to? He says it's for the thirsty. In Revelation 22, in the last chapter of our Bible, The Apostle John writes of this vision of the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem coming down. This is the same apostle who who wrote the gospel of John. Now he's writing how things are going to end, or for us as Christians, how things will really begin. 
When the city of God comes down and Jesus reigns forever, our eternal destiny is not that we would be some disembodied spirit floating in the clouds playing harps, but that we will have real bodies and we will live in a real city in which Jesus will reign. And John writes about this. And we read these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in this glorious vision that John has of the future reign of Jesus, he sees this life-giving water flowing from the presence of Jesus. And it's bringing healing to everyone. But when you read Revelation 22, you realize not everybody is drinking from this. That not everybody's inside the city. There are some people who are locked outside of the city gates on the other side of the walls. We read about this in verse 14. Outside the gates are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So outside of these city walls, there's all the evil people. I mean, the sorcerers, the adulterers, the sexually immoral people, they're they're all on the outside. They can't get to this life-giving water that flows from Jesus' presence. So one would assume if they're the ones on the outside of the wall, then the ones on the inside of the wall need to be the righteous. Those are the ones who get to drink, right? That's what you would expect to see, but it isn't the case. It's not the main difference between the two. It's not that those on the outside of the wall are evil and those on the inside are righteous. It's that those on the outside are evil and those on the inside are thirsty. That's what Revelation 22 says. They're thirsty. We read, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life Take it without price. So the insiders are not more righteous than the outsider. They are just thirsty. That's the difference. These are the people who actually recognize their need for Jesus. This is why Jesus could tell the self-righteous Pharisees, he could look at them and he'd say, hey, the tax collectors and the the prostitutes are going to get in before you. And the reason is because they know they need me. And you don't think you need anybody. They are thirsty. And the water that comes from my presence is for those who thirst Jesus doesn't say, if anyone is righteous, let him come to me. He doesn't say, if anyone is moral, come to me. If anybody is qualified, come to me. If anybody goes to church, if anybody tithes, if anybody is not coveting, come to me. He doesn't say that. He says, if you are thirsty, if anyone thirsts, I offer eternal life to whoever thirsts. You need to feel that your soul is dry. 
So you have to be thirsty, but you can't just go anywhere to satisfy your thirst. Jesus says you have to go to him. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You don't go to broken cisterns that don't hold water. You go to Jesus. Single women, you don't just go to try to find a man. Men, you don't go to just try to pick up a date to somehow fill that hole in your heart to quench it. We don't go to the gym to work out and think if I could just lose a few pounds and then, I, then I'd really be pleased. That will somehow satisfy me. We, we, don't, we don't do these things. We go to Jesus. The question is, are you going to Jesus to satisfy your thirst? Where do you go for satisfaction? Whether you know it or not, your entire day you're constantly taking little sips. You're constantly taking little sips. I know we need, we need to take you know, big drinks of water. We need to take big drinks of God through his word, big drinks through prayer. But what I want to focus on right now is throughout the day, we're all taking little teeny sips. You know when you're meeting somebody for lunch and you get there maybe two minutes before them, you've got a two-minute window to do anything. What well are you going to go to? and your boredom. Tinder, Pinterest, check your draft status, fantasy league. Where, where are you gonna go? These are one of those little mini moments. I, I, I challenge you to take some of those little mini moments that you have and sip on Jesus. Just sip on him. Yes, I know we're, we're supposed to take big drinks, take, have your quiet times, get up early for prayer, do that. But throughout the day, all those little teeny times, sip on Jesus. Can you imagine how different your life would be if for that minute that you're waiting for your friends to arrive, instead of trying to, to satisfy whatever boredom you know that you have, you were to sip on Jesus. You were to think, how about I just meditate on the fact that God is eternal? Do you think you would be richer or poorer if you took one minute to meditate on the fact that God has always existed? That a thousand years ago, there was God. 10,000 years ago, there was God. A billion years ago, there was God. You just chew on that. And you think in a billion years in the future, there is God. Chew on that for a minute. Do you think you'll be richer or poor than if you took that time to reshuffle your draft. God is saying, take sips from me. Or what if you took that minute to just look around the room and pray for the people around you? God, who here is hurting that I can pray for? God, is there any, any way that you can use me as a vessel of grace in somebody's life in this room at this time? Take those moments. Just think how different your life would be. Jesus, he, he cries out for us to come to him and to drink, to always be coming to him and drink. And then he tells us what he's going to do for you when you come. 
Jesus says if we come to him, he's gonna give us living water. And then the result of this is living water is now gonna begin flowing from us as well. It's the same thing he told the woman at the well when he told her the water that he gives will become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, come to me and I'm gonna give you a fountain. And so Jesus, we come to him, he gives us life, and then this life flows out from us, we become a life-giving people. We become so filled with God's spirit that his spirit begins flowing from us to others. When people are around us, we don't bring them down. Ask yourself this question, are you a life sucker or are you a life giver? It's kind of not the most fun question to ask, but it's something we need to look in the mirror and ask. Do people feel lifted up when they're around me, encouraged when they're around me, or do people feel dragged down? Do I give them life or am I taking it away from them? What Jesus is saying here is that when we come to him, we become like him. And so just as he gives us life, as we go to others, we begin coming, becoming an instrument in which we can give them life. We become many fountains. This is what Jesus said happens when we come to him. Now, this is what Jesus said, but why did he have to get up and cry out these words at this moment? If you read, if you read through the Gospels, you're going to find it very rare that Jesus ever stands up and cries out about anything. He does a few times, but, but rarely. Why do that here? What, what was he seeing? As I mentioned before, this Feast of Tabernacles is when they remembered God's provision for them. And in particular, they remembered the time when Moses struck the rock in Exodus 17 and water flowed from the rock and the people got to drink from it. The Israelites at this time, they had just walked through the Red Sea. They had just come out on the other side. They instantly began grumbling, murmuring. They were hungry. God gives them manna. After they have manna, they instantly begin grumbling that they need water. Actually, they do more than grumble. Uh, they're really mad when you get to Exodus 17. They actually tell Moses, we want to stone you. We want to kill you. They bring an official accusation against Moses. And the accusation is this. Moses, you brought us out here in order to kill us. And we want to put you on trial because we believe you deserve the death penalty. And so this is what happens. They, they want to take Moses on trial. And what happens next after they say this is one of the most astonishing things that you will ever read in Scripture. God, he talks to Moses and he says, so the people want a trial. Well, let's give them a trial. Let's give this grumbling, murmuring people a trial. Moses, I want you to go and get your staff, get your rod, you know, the rod that you struck the Nile with that turned it into blood, you know, the, the rod of judgment that brought the plagues. I want you to go and get that rod, and I want you to assemble all the Israelites together, and we're going to meet at this rock. And so Moses, he gathers them all together, and the people are like, oh my gosh, what have we done? 
as, as they are gathered before. And so, uh, so they're wondering what's going to happen, what's going to be the verdict, how is this all going to play out? And then we get this incredible twist in the story, something astonishing happens. The Lord God doesn't put the people on the dock. He doesn't put them on trial. He puts himself on trial before them. We read in Exodus 17, 6, it says that Yahweh comes and he stands before the people at this rock. Yahweh stands before the people. This is incredible because it is the only time in Scripture that the Lord ever stands before anybody. The Lord never stands before people. It's always the other way around. People stand before him. Kings stand before him. Angels stand before him. Or usually they can't stand before him. 1 Samuel 6 says, who can stand before the Lord? But the Lord never stands before anybody. Yet here he does. He is acting as the inferior. It's astonishing. And then what happens next shocks us even more. With Yahweh standing there at the rock being the defendant, the people being the plaintiff, and Moses holding the rod of judgment. And the people there are trembling, waiting for what's going to happen. God says, Moses, take that rod of judgment and strike where I stand. Strike where my presence is. And so these grumbling, murmuring, sinful people Watch as the rod of judgment doesn't go towards them, but goes towards the Lord. And from that rock comes life-giving water to all the Israelites. They deserve judgment, but what they receive is grace. And the Lord takes the judgment on their behalf. And when Jesus sees this being acted out, when Jesus sees this being demonstrated 1,400 years later at this Feast of Tabernacles, and the water is about to pour out, meaning it's symbolizing where the rod of judgment is about to come, Jesus cries out to everybody, he said, this is me. This all points to me. Come to me if you're thirsty. That's what this is pointing to. Come to me and I will satisfy you. Come to me for life. Yes, you're trying to kill me. Yes, you are a grumbling, murmuring, sinful people. But you know what? I'm going to take the judgment for you and I'm going to give life-giving water from me. I'm going to give you my spirit. Come to me who are thirsty. Jesus, he cannot keep quiet at this moment when he sees this play out. Jesus tells the guilty. He tells those who deserve wrath. He says, I will come to you, not in judgment, but in mercy. Won't you come? The question is, are you thirsty? Pray with me. God, I pray right now you would give us a desire for you and a thirst for you. Every person here is a grumbler, a murmurer, a sinner. There's no doubt about those things. All of us deserve judgment. But Jesus, you have taken that on our behalf. 
And now you say, come to me and receive mercy, receive life. The question is, are we coming to you? With such a generous offer, are we taking you up on it? And I pray that now through your spirit, you would give us that desire to do so. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.